Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. I wrote this memoir to let people know that people you hear about in the news, uh, Syria, the refugees, uh, they're actually real people with like stories and families and dreams. Uh, we're not just numbers. We're not uh, random pictures of people suffering that you just don't know uh, or you just sometimes you just don't care anymore. Uh, about them. I wrote this memoir to give people uh, who didn't get the chance to talk a voice. Uh, There's millions of people who went through uh, a lot of uh, terrible things, perhaps more terrifying than the things that I went through. I and my friends had hoped that humankind would come to our aid. Afterwards, I gave up on humanity. There is nothing worse than feeling the world has forgotten you. The compelling words of Cassie Mead from his memoir, My Country, published by Bloomsbury. Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. What has been the human cost of Syria's civil war? How did this war happen to ordinary people? And what was it like being a Palestinian refugee living in Bashar al-Assad's Syria? Well, on tonight's show, we're going to tackle those questions with writer, human rights activist and journalist Cassie Mead, whose powerful memoir, My Country, has just been published by Bloomsbury, where Cassie writes, Starvation was a main tactic in the regime's new strategy, and it proved to be their most effective weapon. Some residents stayed because they were simply afraid to pass through the checkpoints, lacked the funds to leave, or preferred to die in their own homes. It's hard for me to say what kept me there. Kasim goes on to state, I was lucky enough to live to tell this tale while so many others struggled, fought and died silently. I have written this memoir for them. I hope that it will give a voice to those who are suffering now and to those who have been silenced forever and that people of conscience around the world will listen before it's too late. So has the world forgotten about Syria? And is it possible to move on from the psychological wounds of war? Qasem Eid. Uh, I'm a Palestinian-Syrian uh, activist and a rebel and also the author of My Country, a Syrian Memoir. Really well done on the memoir, Kasim. I have to say it is an unbelievably powerful read. It's very raw in some parts. It's very emotionally uh, engaging in other parts and also incredibly informative on uh, the state of play in Syria and what so many Syrians, Palestinian Syrians and the general community have gone through. I might throw you a big wide open question to kick things off and sure we can take it from there. What does it mean to be a refugee today? What does it mean to you? 
Well, actually, uh, it's my life right now. I've uh, been a refugee, uh, to be honest, since uh, the day I was born in Syria, because I was born in Syria, uh, a Palestinian Syrian refugee, because my father and mother were kicked out of Palestine in 1948, and uh, I was born in Syria under refugee status. Uh, in Syria, I went through the same struggles that uh, uh, young people like me in Syria had to go through. Uh, and eventually, when the revolution happened, we were hoping to make our country a better place for everyone to stay. But unfortunately, because of the Assad regime uh, uh, atrocities and other uh, terrorist groups, we had to flee the country. I fled uh, Syria. I became a refugee in the United States in 2014. Then I became a refugee for the third time in my life in Germany in 2016. You say in the memoir, you write in the memoir, that Palestinians living in Syria could never fully integrate into society and remained refugees without the full rights of citizens. I'm just wondering, how do you explain that? Uh, well, the fact that uh, the Assad regime and practically all other uh, Arab and Muslim dictators always use Palestine and Palestinians as a way to justify their... Uh, dictatorship, while in fact, in real life, they all treat uh, Palestinians uh, in uh, a very bad way, a very different way than uh, they treat uh, the rest of uh, their uh, people. Uh, in Syria, uh, the Assad government uh, didn't allow Palestinians, for example, to have uh, certain jobs in the government or in the military. Uh, when uh, even in school there was a lot of d uh, discrimination against us, uh, they uh, actually named one of the worst uh, uh, like uh, intelligence branches in Syria as the Palestine branch, which was practically uh, the slaughterhouse uh, even before the revolution. Uh, in the very early days of the Syrian revolution, uh, uh, when uh, people were still demonstrating in Dara after the regime uh, uh, tortured those uh, school uh, children. Uh, the Assad regime vice president uh, and spokesperson Bethina Shaban uh, accused Palestinian refugees in Dara of making problems and uh, uh, demonstrating against the government. So Palestinians in Syria were always treated in a very, very bad way. You arrived to Germany, I think it was in May uh, 2016, and then you began uh, writing the memoir. You opened the memoir saying, I came to Germany as a broken man. And I'm just wondering, throughout um, the memoir, it, it, it strikes me that, you know, you're a very resilient fellow, you're a very courageous fellow, a very hopeful fellow. And within all of that, there is a lot of creativity in how you went about surviving through some brutal, grotesque and un unimaginable uh, violence. So I'm just wondering, for anyone who hasn't um, read the memoir, how would you describe it? Because to me, it is a story of hope, survival and of courage. Well, uh, thank you so much for your kind words. Um when I uh, wrote in the memoir that I came to Germany as a broken man, uh, like, to be honest, the thing that actually broke me or 
made me feel very disappointed was uh, the lack of international community uh, action against the atrocities and war criminals in Syria. That's the thing that really broke my heart because uh, I grew up in a dictatorship that always uh, taught us in school that, uh, you know, the United States is the enemy, uh, Europe uh, is the enemy, democracy is such an evil and bad thing. Uh, they used to praise Hitler and praise dictators like Stalin and others in our history books and say they were great leaders uh, just because they stood against the West. Uh, and uh, I and uh, millions of uh, people in Syria during the revolution, we were hoping that uh, the international community, and especially the West, the United States and Europe, will actually take action to uh, support our claims and democracy and freedom in Syria. Later on, our hopes started to uh, become more about stopping the atrocities. And with years passing by, and maybe more than 700,000 people got killed and millions of people got displaced, uh, it's uh, the disappointment that actually didn't just br uh, break me. It broke a lot of hearts in Syria. But when you look at the last uh, couple of years and the devastation, the brutality and the violence affecting um, Syrians all across the country, um, it is astounding to think how, whether it's Europe, whether it's America or um, different uh, political groups, how people have not, I would say, forgotten or chosen to ignore, but they've left what has happened, happened and happen again and happen again. Yes. That's, uh, that was really painful and uh, disappointing to watch throughout those years uh, with uh, atrocities and war crimes. Uh, it's not just the chemical weapons, the massacre that I survived in August 21st, 2013, when 1,400 people were killed in a few hours by the Assad regime. There is hundreds of massacres. There's, for example, the Caesar file about... Uh, the uh, police defector who uh, filmed uh, and uh, smuggled uh, the pictures of more than 55,000 uh, people who got tortured to death in Assad prisons. Uh, there is the uh, crematorium in Sednaya uh, where more than 100,000 people were brutally tortured to death and burned uh, inside those big ovens to hide the evidence. Uh, the list of the atrocities and war crimes in Syria, it's really, really shocking for anyone who is actually interested to uh, dig uh, further into uh, the truth in Syria. And as a, an activist who has been uh, doing this for many years, uh, I don't know, the disappointment is just too much to bear. It's really too much. You write, in times of war or natural disaster, hope is priceless. It can make up for low ammunition, food shortages, stress, fatigue and almost any physical ailment. Can you talk me through that? Because possibly um, not everyone can um, maintain a sense of hope through massive violent onslaughts day in, day out. Yeah, well, uh, like I mentioned earlier, we... Uh, we're going through atrocities, we were going through 
chemical weapons, siege, starvation, daily bombardment. Uh, I watch my friends uh, die. I watch my own town uh, getting destroyed by my own government. It was all too much to handle. But again, the thing that uh, took away uh, our hope in uh, resistance or our hope in some kind of uh, help uh, coming in, into the way was just, again, watching uh, how uh, the world leaders, the international community, giving Assad a green uh, pass to keep committing atrocities. Uh, that hope that we had uh, was uh, one day we'll be able to uh, take our country back from the Assad government, from ISIS, from all those terrorists, and actually uh, rebuild our country and make it a better place for everyone in Syria. Uh, but that hope got crushed. That's all I can say. And through all the past years where the Russians and the Iranians started to interfere heavily in uh, the Syrian conflict and it committing more atrocities. Uh, I don't know. You can see right now how people are surrendering in Syria or uh, just trying to do anything just to be able to live and move 